Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. And we are digging deeply into investing versus other forms of enterprise like gambling, speculating, (laughs) buying call options on GameStop. (laughs) All this stuff everybody does because everybody else is doing it, you know. So um, we don't play that game. And hopefully you guys have figured that out so far and, and are enjoying the podcast and where we're going with this. We're we're hashing out uh, the checklist that we use here, basically something you guys should create on your own. It's a really kind of organic to the whole learning to invest process. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And uh, Danielle, you've been reading basically all of Buffett's letters going back for 60 years. And um, have you? About 60 years? God, 50, 50 years, 50 years. Oh, you haven't read the earlier ones? Those are no, great. No, I started, no, a little less than 50 years because I started, I made the choice to just go with what was available on the Berkshire Hathaway website uh-huh. just for total easiness and because they started it there. So I figured I'm going to start it there and not have to search down some other stuff. And there mm-hmm. was, trust me, plenty to do starting in 1977. So, yeah, yeah. Is. what's that? The, uh, the thing is years. really good about the early letters, like 1957 to like 1970, is that he's talking more about the kind of investing that he did before he got, he got really big. Yeah, and, totally. I really want to go back and read those. I just wanted to start at 77 because I'm doing it for the invested practice for my 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 premium newsletter. And I wanted it to be easy for us all to be reading the same thing. And those earlier ones, you kind of have to hunt them down a little bit. But I do mm-hmm. want to do a project to now go back to the very beginning to where we can first find anything and and then lead up to 77. Because what I enjoyed the most... I don't even know why we're talking about this now when we're supposed to be talking about the checklist, but I don't care because I'm obsessed with the letters. And what I enjoyed the most about them, um, not about the letters themselves, about doing the project of an investing intensive and reading them from 77 to now was observing how he changed his writing style over time. And you don't get that just reading them piecemeal and you don't get that if you read them over a long period of time the only way to get a sense of it is really to just read them one after another days on end or weeks on end Mm. and um and it was it's just very interesting to see how he goes from being ultra kind of like hands-off no advice very factual entirely about what happened at berkshire hathaway the company that year the end thank you very much warren buffett to in the last like 10 15 years somebody who comments on all sorts of macroeconomic situations throws in politics sometimes 
gives his own personal commentary about how he feels about people and companies and things happening and really is much more of a elder statesman kind of figure that he's turned into in, you know, in his um, billionaire old age. So it's, it's really interesting to see like that transition from kind of what I would call like normal guy status <laughs> to like Buffett status. <laughs> and you can see it in his writing and in his topics and how he chooses to write about things. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think what, uh, you know, obviously it's very easy to get to the Buffett um, Berkshire letters. They're just there on the website, Berkshire yeah. Hathaway. Um, getting to the Buffett partnership letters is a different story. And I, I just want to give you guys a clue on how to find them because um, we haven't well, put them up on our website, but we should. Well, um, they're not yours to put up. Well, they're out there on the net as the reason, a PDF. Right. I mean, the reason <laughs> that I did not necessarily give those kinds of access to certain, what am I saying? To like I don't those know what letters. Saying, well, I feel I'm very uncomfortable it. about it. They're copyrighted material problem. from Buffett. I don't and, have that problem at all. Yeah, well, I do, and you should. They're okay, copyrighted material from Buffett. This is my lawyer. And they're available here. on the internet because people have broken the copyright and put them out there, and Buffett doesn't care, so he hasn't gone after them. But there he you go. could if he wanted to. So and you can download them from. My, you can download. <laughs> <laughs> so they are out there for sure. They're not hard to find, but <laughs> from the Ivy business school, I'm not going to put them up. on. What my... is UWO? What is the university of WO? I don't know. University. I don't know. It's UWO. Where's the Ivy business school? Somebody look I it up. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you okay. don't want to talk about this. We're going to Who talk cares? about it anyway. We can Are talk about it as school? much as you want, but it's not a good, great choice. Oh, they're in London. That's why okay. UWO didn't really ring a bell. Um, no, wait, it's, well, it says London. It might be London, Canada. Canada's leadership school offering. Who cares? Why are you looking this up? Because they have the PDF. Okay. So Google. So if Buffett's going to sue anybody, letters. now he knows exactly who to sue. To get those letters taken Ivy. down. He should That's sue right. Ivy. Ivy Business School. So they're in Canada, which is maybe why they're getting away with it. But they're very good to read, and I don't think Warren would feel bad if you read them. So I don't, I don't think he's trying to hide PDF. them at all. I think Can I just say this without you interrupting me for a second? Fine. How you find these letters. Go ahead. Google Buffett Partnership Letters, Ivy Business School. And they'll come up as a PDF. And it's 152 pages of the letters, one by one, starting in 1957 and going forward to 1970. And the reason I'm just steamrolling Danielle right here is because I think I've got more out of more out of what Buffett does from these letters than even from the Berkshire letters. As great as the Berkshire letters are, these letters show us a, an investor who's just figuring it out and has different investing strategies a little bit than what he comes up with by 1970. And I think some of those strategies are more appropriate for you guys and for, for any small investor than what Buffett and Munger do with, you know, $170 billion. So I'm with you. And I'm just it. looking back here at my Berkshire Hathaway letters book, which <laughs> I bought in Omaha 
Right on. And it starts in 65. Oh, there you go. So he's very happy to have those early letters out, at least starting in 65. And this is fully Buffett approved. I love it. It's really good. There's something that he says in his first letter, actually, in 1957. I don't know if it's his first letter. I think it's actually a second annual letter, but it's the first one we've got. That he's talking about the market in general. And he says, all of the above is not intended to apply that market analysis is foremost in my mind. Okay, remember now, this is 1957. Oh, interesting. Okay. Not to imply that form market analysis is foremost in my mind. Primary attention is given at all times to the detection of substantially undervalued securities. In other words, and it's a, such a good cautionary note because we get caught up in market analysis here sometimes. I certainly do, where we're looking at, wow, this market is massively overpriced, massively overpriced. Well, I've been saying that pretty regularly since about 2015. And uh, obviously, if you stayed out of the market from 2015 to now, you would have missed one of the great bull markets of history. Mm-hmm. And um, and to a certain degree, I've missed a lot of it by staying in cash relatively uh, during that whole period of time. But we've still done well. And we've done well without violating the basic concepts of rule one investing. And I think that's super critical um, that we keep looking in any kind of a market for undervalued securities. Sometimes it's just harder to find them. And I often get asked when I'm when I'm doing our classes and I get a Q&A question from from somebody about, you know, what should I be doing in this market and what are we doing differently in this market? And, you know, with the Wilshire at 250 percent and Wilshire GDP ratio and with the Schiller at almost 40. I mean, we're at such a massively historically overpriced market. What do we do in this market? And the answer is exactly what Buffett just says right here. We do the same things we always do. Mm. We just keep looking for undervalued securities. And we just say have what, a knowledge. Say, that, say what he go, said again. Would you read it again? He said that all of the above is not intended to imply that market analysis is foremost in my mind. Mm. Primary attention is given at all times to the detection of substantially undervalued securities. Mm. Mm. Right? It's interesting because I I think he would still agree with that, but that was pre-Munger. And... I wonder if now he would phrase it a little bit differently to not be only about undervalued securities, to be a little bit more about um, the well-priced securities. Maybe we put it that way. Or perhaps he would add, you know, we're looking for a wonderful company. Or a wonderful company, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that is definitely something that Charlie brought in uh, later and appropriately because it was harder and harder for Buffett to find what Graham taught him to find, which Mm -hmm. some people call net nets or stocks that are basically priced at um, the, essentially the liquid assets of the company after you subtract all of the debt. Mm. (laughs) You you can buy the company for that price. That's a pretty amazingly low price. And Buffett was doing an awful lot of that kinds of, of, of buying um, back in those days, and it got very hard to do by the 1960s as the market kept going up and up and up. There were less and less companies that were for sale for just, you know, the price of the cash on the books, basically less. So, um, but it's not a bad thing to learn about because, and we'll talk about it in the podcast down the road here, I think, it's a really good idea to talk about net nets because if this market really crumbles, we will see net nets again. And it's good okay. to be able to look at them. Let me um, write that down especially for investors that are sort of just kind of getting going, it's a little bit safer to buy a basket of net nets when the market really crashes. Um, 
than to buy one company and really be confident that you've got the right thing going at the right time. So maybe it's a really good thing to cover. You want to do that down the road? You can do that. Net nets. Yeah, okay. So um, anyway, right. get get those letters, guys, and, and, and read those as part of your checklist. <laughs> Indeed. Check that box. Now, you want to talk about checklists? Logistics? Of course I do. More on the logistics? Um, okay. So we've talked about Ackman's yeah. 8, and we've talked about Munger's 4. And now we're talking about Towns' um, rules, the rules checklist. R-U-L-E-S. Radar, understand, love, event, and story inversion. Those are the Hold major categories. On. Hmm. Hold on. Okay. So this, the pyramid, top part is the Munger four questions. The middle mm -hmm. part is the Ackman eight questions. Mm -hmm. But when you were talking about the Ackman eight questions last time, mm -hmm. you said something like, oh, I'm just going through this quickly, mostly in my head. Mm -hmm. When does the actual real research come in to this pyramid? Right, um, right there. If, if this thing is clearing in my head, the Ackman eight, with with the exceptions, with that like I some said, questions, yeah, and yeah. Then okay, time to start digging. Okay. Right, but so before those are I kind do, of two preliminary steps. Yeah, and I'm going to run those preliminary by my guys. So we're going to, we're going to kick those around or they're going to bring them to me and kick them around if they found something and they're going to go through. Here's, here's basically the Ackman eight on these, on these guys and the parts that we really truly know and the parts we don't really truly know. And we'll say, yeah, okay, this is worth, now this is worth going deeper on. Mm -hmm. Right now, part of that equation, I have to admit <laughs> because we talked about how we leave price out of this until we've really done the work. That's mm -hmm. not entirely true. Um, about the time we finish this, we're going to take a good look at what the price of this company is and roughly what we think it might be worth because we're about to spend a lot of time on an, on a company. And I would really like to spend time on a company that is undervalued to you know, and a nod back to what Buffett said in 1957, we're searching for undervalued securities. I mean, as a primary thing, we just, we can find wonderful companies all day long. There's lots of wonderful companies, but we can't buy them. They're not of much use to us other than to put them on a great list, right? Hmm. We can make a nice list and hope that someday they all go on sale. But when you're in the business of that Buffett is in of managing other people's money, you can't wait forever for things to go on sale. You have to dig and start trying to find things that are on sale right now. And so that does come into this right away, I will say. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply little bit disappointing, isn't it? 
Um, in the sense that it it's just, not pure. I don't. It just is what it is. I mean, I find that. I find that doing. I I've done that as well. I think everybody does it, and it's it's hard to avoid price. It's actually hard to avoid, in my opinion. Like yeah. you Google a company, and it's gonna come up, and you're gonna start to look at a couple numbers, and you're gonna start to to start thinking about that. And um. Well, what this means is that it's an iterative process. Yeah. It's, in other words, we're true. going in a we're, we're not going in a straight line. We're going in more like a spiral down into this thing. So we're going to kind of come back through things repeatedly as we go along. And one of the things we come back to repeatedly as we go along is valuation. Yeah. Because initially we really don't know enough to to nail it and say, "Oh yeah, for sure this thing is worth, you know, 50 billion dollars." It's, you know, we we need to take a rough estimate and say it's we think it's probably worth about 50 billion ballpark would make sense for us to buy it for that and it's on sale right now for you know you know 30 billion or something and yeah we should we need to look at this and we need to get on it yeah i think i've just had the experience already a few times where i was interested in a company did a quick price look realized that it was probably really overpriced and just got discouraged and didn't continue with the process. I know. That and is then, true. And then a year later, two years later, something happens. There's an event happening and I go, oh, my God, I wish that I had done at least even like a week of research on that company because I have a feeling right now it's fantastic, but I, I don't actually know because I haven't actually put my work in. Well, that is a super good and point. I don't, yeah. I, that's happened to me. Like that's a lesson that I have taken into my own process because I think I've been really like adversely influenced by prices. Well, and so I've actually good. started, like I haven't been doing a lot of research because of this illness going on but when i have i've been trying to consciously just not ignore it but just like sort of push that off to the side and let myself research a great company that i want to know about so that i have the info and the research is done and i know what i'm about there well i think you're right i think that that for, but at the same time, sorry people, to interrupt for, you. I agree that that's a luxury. Like what you're saying is that in your process, you've you've got that institutional imperative a bit. We, we so. do have an institutional imperative to yeah. to a certain degree. We try to avoid it as possible, but we do we do feel it. And I think that what you're saying that is so right is is comes from the lesson of having looked at something, not really done all the work, and then. When it goes on sale, it goes on sale for a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're that seeing that over so and over in this market, by the way. Right. It's, it's, it's been absolutely short. true. Companies would try to buy like Tractor Supply or Texas Roadhouse. I mean, they they just went on sale for like a split second, almost like half a day. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't on it, you missed it. Mm -hmm. Just that simple. Mm -hmm. And we may be seeing that again in the future. So... 100% agree with you that for a, for novice investors, the place to start isn't looking at price and value. The place to start is building a watch list of or a wish list of great companies that you would love to own, particularly right now, you guys, because I think it's pretty obvious now that the that inflation is starting to get out of control. 
of the Federal Reserve. And you know, it's in the news every single day now that they're maybe reevaluating their, their view of this. And the problem with that is that to correct for inflation has in the past required that they raise interest rates and stop printing money. And if they do that, there goes the stock market. I mean, I, I can't think of a more certain way to blow up the stock market than to raise interest rates. And um, if that happens, then we will probably see the market start to tumble. And on top of that, um, we've got the federal government spending another, wanting to spend another trillion or two trillion or three trillion or God knows how much, if it really will turn out to be, but right into the teeth of inflation. And if they do that, it just jacks up inflation. And so you've got Federal Reserve working against fiscal policy with monetary policy going one way, fiscal going the other. And we could have a serious crash that would come out of this. So point being, Danielle, you're right. You should absolutely focus on building 10 great companies into your watch list. Don't worry about being able to buy them right now. Don't do what, you know, fund managers do and try to find something on sale right now. What you need to find are things you understand and they go through the checklist. They match all the checklist stuff except for valuation. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I also think what you were saying is right and real and real. It's just real. Like, of real. course, we all want <laughs> to find a great company that's priced great right now or like tomorrow. That would be excellent. That'd be a good day. So <laughs> it's very just real life and human nature for us to want to veer towards those ones if possible. And so I think it's important to, to call that out and acknowledge oh. that it's exciting and, and also good for the investing portfolio to do that and not always be waiting on things. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so, so you're so, starting that research process. You're kind of starting it. You're saying with looking at some pricing valuation stuff. Like you said, an iterative process. So um, beginning with some preliminary numbers, try to figure some stuff out, see if like this has potential. And if it does, then go forward. Yeah. And I, I actually want to do something here for you guys. I want, I want to tell you that whenever we do a workshop, we try to help the students pick companies that they can find that are uh, in their wheelhouse. And then we take all of those companies, which could be like 400 companies that were well, obviously there's a lot of overlap, so it probably wouldn't be 400 unique companies, but 400 suggestions coming in from 400 students. And, um, and then distill that down to what might be the best 10 companies um, that they could then kind of start working on. And I thought it might be really useful to you guys just in terms of this checklist to start making it real um, is to take a look at some of these companies. I mean, I'm not going to give you an entire list, but um, some of the companies you could look at that have fallen on these student checklists in the past would include Costco, which is not terribly difficult to understand, um, Home Depot, um, Boston Beer, which is SAM, S-A-M, Tractor Supply, we've talked about that here a number of times, TSCO, um, Lululemon, one of Danielle's perennial favorites, as Sanderson, uh, no, Sanderson's gone, they just sold out. Um, Sprouts Farmers Market. So those are just a few of. And what uh, are those companies that you just listed? What's those the... are companies that are have been looked at by my analyst team and have been vetted through 
hundreds of students um, going through the checklist. Going through the checklist. Okay. So they're a good... Not saying anything about... We're not endorsing that this is a good thing to buy these companies in any way. No. Well, no. in some way, yeah. In, <laughs> in some, some way. way. I, because I they did make it through in, the checklist. But I'm well, not giving you recommendations. So no, you guys got to do your work. Yeah. Just because and, it went through somebody's checklist doesn't mean anything. And we, so, we certainly don't own all of these companies or even a lot of them. It's just... Um, they're, they're a good place to start the checklist. And I'm just giving you an, a few companies where a lot of students have run the checklist and this company's made it through the checklist. So it'd so be a I would good say, place for you to play with it. Yes. These are good case study companies. Yeah. To good go case test study it. companies. Yeah. So taking Sprouts, for example, to, to kind of get back to the logistics of the checklist. Um, See, now you're into it. Logistics yeah, of it's the checklist. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Is we end up, I'll tell you what, we end up with about a 20-page document that is the answers to the checklist. That's really what it comes down to. Is we go through the checklist literally item by item, line by line, and get an answer to it. And if we, we come to a place where we can't get an answer, then we dig until we can get an answer. And if we can't get an answer, then that bit's too hard. And that company, we stop the process and we throw that one into the too hard box. So that process of gathering the information on things that were not that easy to dig up results in a, and by the way, we're keeping all of this information in a, in a tool called uh, Evernote, which is a, its own kind of database. And um, we just build a new, a, a notebook. For, so what that is, is a, what's, what are those called? Like a note keeping app that's it's a note keeping app yeah yeah notion is another one that one's really good um there's a few yeah. others we like this one because you can put data in there and then other people who are using the same thing can also see that data so we don't have to all be in the same room all the time um and we don't end up with very many notes e each note is a container of a bunch of information so one note would be for example the story the the rules story on this company which is the checklist so the checklist and the rules story are synonymous they're the same thing so we've got um the rules story as one note then we've got some other notes that have come into it because for example we couldn't get some answers to some things so we really started digging and we make one note kind of a bibliography i guess it is a bibliography okay, okay. So where did that information come from? So here's an example of the evolution of the grocery customer and the evolution of online shopping. Those are off of various, we've got URLs to them or their book titles. Um, we dug into the USDA on, um, you know, organic markets. Um, we've done, dug into organic food sales in the U.S. via uh, a, two or three different websites. So we, we, we dug up. Um, demographics were interesting to us about the total population where who's, who's doing the buying and how are they getting older or whatever they're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Generational shopping studies we pulled up. So these are all deep into the weeds kind of digging, um, where we kind of take a shotgun to the data that's out there and mm -hmm. just start blasting away. Mm -hmm. And some of it's useless, a lot of it's, most of it's useless probably, but it, it also is expanding our knowledge about this industry, about the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And the more you do of these kind of things, the more you learn about things that will help you in the future. 
that may not be real helpful right now, but you can use them later. We dug into the Great Recession on, you know, like <laughs> found a study from the Fermentation Association um, that uh, was an analysis of demographics. And we found a, a retail space solutions study that was an analysis of generational shopping and what millennials and Gen Z consumers are doing when shopping. So we really, you know, you really just sort of, you dig in and you look at the bibliography of a, of an article and you dig into that one, you go to a wiki page and there's a stack of stuff that the, the wiki page is built on and you dig into that. Yeah. Um, and we, we pull in here bullish articles on, on a particular company. Oh yeah, there's a bullish article on sprouts and here's, here's a really negative article on sprouts and here's a whole article on organic versus traditional grocery stores. And you know, it's just, you just keep digging until, and, and when, when are you done? When you know you got it, it's like, I don't know, it's like learning a sport, right? It's like learning snowboarding or playing tennis or something. It's like if you've never done it before, you know you don't got it. And I think you know you got it when you're at that point where you may not be a master of it. Um, it's not at that point of unconscious competence necessarily about the grocery industry, but it's at a point of conscious competence. You have a, you have as as good a a uh, data collection in your head on this industry as you'd need to run a business in that thing or to, to own a business there. Like, yeah, okay. I understand this thing. It's, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, as close as I can competent, get. You to, competent to enough. Or with my snowboarding, as I always say, I can get down pretty much anything. It might not be pretty, but I can get down pretty much. Oh, anything. I've seen you get down some things that were not pretty. Oh yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I'm thinking of in particular a double black diamond shoot in Jackson Hole. Oh, that was so bad. <laughs> with people on with, the chair. With the chairlift going over me <laughs> and people yelling, like yelling. wondering wondering if I'm half going to die slash half like making Nobody. fun of me for trying to go down this thing. Nobody cared if you were going to die. It's Jackson Hole. They all wanted to yell at you for taking out the whole snowpack in that That's thing. That's probably true. That was what they were shouting at. That was hilarious. And that thing was steep. You got to admit it. That was steep. Let me just say, never follow an idiot guide down something <laughs> blindly. And no, you were not the guide. It was somebody. It wasn't me. Somebody it else wasn't me. Who just said, this is a fun run. Let's go yeah. down it. Let's and just I was like, down to you fantastic i followed that same guy through a really steep <laughs> shoot on on a up on mount glory where we hiked up there yeah down through a really steep shoot that released under me as i've done as i'm going through it oh. so 100 percent agree with you about this guy's uh, uh, general sense a of lovely what's dangerous. person not aware Super. of my <laughs> skill level. Let's and, put it and mortality. Way. I would say that's <laughs> not, not particularly aware of mortality. But hey. I survived. <laughs> you survived. <laughs> I didn't break anything. And yes, I scraped the entire chute clear of snow because that's how you get down something when you're snowboarding and you have the option to You, survive you left enough in there. You it left was all right. I made a few turns. I made a few turns, but it was a mess. It was a complete mess. So yeah, so basically like do better than that on your investing research and mm -hmm. you're going to be fine. You will. And then we've got one more document. that So we've got sort of the bibliography document or note and then we've got the 
checklist, which is the rules story. Um, that's a document. And then we've got a third document, which is questions we want to ask um, the company itself. So we will go to their um, investor relations people and give them a list of questions. Mm. Um, something like, how would you describe your competitive advantage? So, if we, you know, if, we, if we're really struggling for <laughs> what's their competitive advantage and we think we've come up with it, but it's not in their 10K, it is not something they advertise, it is not something that they're making obvious out there, the way Apple makes it obvious that they're mm -hmm. competitive. If they're not out there advantage. touting their competitive they're not advantage. Telling, I'm not sure they know what it is, right? Right. <laughs> right. It turns out they absolutely know what it is. They just don't want anybody else to know what it is. Mm-hmm because it does give them a giant competitive advantage. So you can run into that when with Sprouts we ran into it. And I think it's actually one of the problems for the company to have its stock price reflect its real value is that people have trouble understanding how these guys yeah. are competing so successfully for I so long. I think that's a good point. So anyway, that's, so that's how that's we do it. That's the logistics of it. What I'm hearing you say, well, we're not done with the logistics. Oh, heck. What I hear you say is that you, in answer to my question about paper versus on computer, you're doing it on computer. Okay, we're doing it on computer, except when it's all done, because I'm an old guy and love paper, I have our team print out the entire rules story, mm -hmm. and it goes into a book, like right here. So, if you're on video here watching this, you'll know it goes into a book like that. Mm -hmm. And that contains the rules story. Um, stuff that that we've gotten that we, we think are valuable that are in paper. Okay. We put it into this folder. So next time we're going to find out, don't tell me right now, why you do that. It's <laughs> a very short answer. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right no, now. No, don't tell me. Okay, I won't tell you right now. <laughs> I'll tell you I have a guess. Back. I have a strong guess because I do the same thing. I print it out. Oh my God. All right. All right. I'm, That's I'm a, a it's a good cliffhanger, Dad. It's a good one. People are going right. to just be on the edge of their seats for. Then until next time. <laughs> time to go play. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.